Well, I love Brother Kevin Merritt. He is a dear friend of mine. In fact, he, he is just in my heart. God put him in my heart many years ago, about 20 years ago now. Uh, the night that I surrendered to preach at my home church, Brother Kevin was there for the meeting. And uh, he come up to me and told me that he would be praying for me and appreciated the commitment that I had made. And he wanted me to come preach for him at Thrasher Baptist Church. And very shortly after that, I was up at Thrasher Baptist Church on a Sunday night preaching. And uh, Brother Kevin has been my friend. And I was raised in the Hurricane community, and he moved into Hurricane and pastored Hurricane Baptist Church, and he was gracious to let me uh, preach there. And uh, he's just, uh, he's been so close to me. Uh, I, would, I would say uh, he's never sold me a book, but he's given me a lot of books. <laughs> and... Uh, Really, my wife knows this because, you know, your wife knows you. And she knows that Brother Kevin uh, and his family are family to me. Uh, you, know, they, you know, I know the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And I try to live in that, but I don't always live in it. And, and uh, he's one of those people that if you were to be negative about him, I'd have a hard time staying there. Uh, I don't know what you do with all of that, but that's just the truth. I love you, Brother Kevin. And uh, he's just a dear, dear brother to me. I uh, would also like to say I appreciate this church. I know that they have put in a lot of labor and love and work to this meeting. And boy, it's been a blessing. And I appreciate uh, all the good preaching, been great preaching and great singing, Christ-honoring, Christ-exalting. What a blessing. I'm reading from Luke chapter 17, verse number 7. Luke chapter 17, verse 7. Also, I did want to say as well uh, that it is a joy to be in, uh, be in services with so many of you that have meant so much to me, been such a friend to me. I don't get to see you like I used to. But I, I want to say I could, I'm like Brother Kevin. I could just go around the room and talk about what so many of you mean to me. And I want you to know we love you in the Lord. It's great to see you, great to worship with you. Uh, but I did want to say particularly it's great to be with my pastor, Brother David Barnett. I surrendered to preach under Brother David, and he is my pastor, and I appreciate him so very much. Amen. He changed my diapers. Amen. <laughs> and so that's the truth, you know. Uh, he did things that others uh, uh, didn't do, and it wasn't their place to do it. But he did it, and I'm grateful that he did it. And I always want to honor my pastor. I believe in that. I'm for it. Amen. Luke chapter 17, verse number 7. The Word of God says here, But which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him, By and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meat? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterwards thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he think that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him, I trow not? So likewise ye, when you have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. I want to preach to you for a few minutes this morning on the thought, meeting the master's expectations. Meeting the master's expectations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to 
cleanse me and forgive me of my sin. I come to you in the names above every name, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for how you have blessed us and how you have ministered to us. Thank you for the good word we've heard. We pray even now that it would find lodging in our lives. Father, I pray for grace for each one of these men and their families as they move forward in thy work. Pray, Lord, for blessings for Brother Kevin and his family and this great church. Lord, now I pray that you would add thy blessings to your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. This little parable in Luke chapter 17 helps us to understand what Jesus expects of us. We find here that he says in verse number 10, he says, so likewise ye, when you have done all those things which are commanded you. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's telling us we need to do all those things that we have been commanded to do. And what we can easily see here is that Jesus is not satisfied with slothfulness in the things of God and he's not content with us being half-hearted. I want to contend this morning that Jesus has some expectations for us as his followers. Uh, You see, Jesus uh, was such an obedient Savior that frankly, he expects us to obey too. Now, I know I can never obey to the degree that Jesus obeyed. I understand the gospel. I understand that he was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him I'm so thankful that he's my righteousness. I'm glad that I'm trusting in uh, nothing less than the blood of Jesus for my hope and my peace and my standing with God. But, you know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 that though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. We see another example of Jesus' expectation of obedience upon the lives of his followers in Mark chapter 6, verse 6, where the Bible says Jesus marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. So here the scripture says that Jesus marveled when people didn't believe him, when they didn't obey his word. Now I know someone might say, well, We've got to take into consideration the fact that we're living under the dispensation of grace. And I am thankful for the grace of God. Amen. I know the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, But I want to remind you this morning that grace is not an impediment to obedience. It's actually the power for obedience. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 verse 14 that sin shall not have dominion over you for you're not under the law but under grace. I want to submit to you that Jesus hasn't changed. That Jesus still expects his people to obey him. The word of God says in Matthew 5 48 Jesus said be ye therefore perfect even as your father which is in heaven is perfect. And that word perfect there means to be mature. It means to be fully furnished, it actually carries the ideal of reaching the goal. And I would submit to you that Jesus has a high standard for us. Jesus said in Mark 12, 30, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And so the Lord's expectations for obedience haven't changed. 
And since we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to give an account of our lives and our service, I think we'd do well to take a few moments and consider just how we can meet the uh, master's expectations. Meeting the master's expectations. And this little parable gives us some tremendous insight into how to meet the master's expectations. I want you to see, number one, the activity that is expected of a Christian servant. Now, as we look into this parable, we read here in verse number seven, but which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him, bind by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet. And so we see here that this servant certainly had some activities that were expected of him. And you and I have some activities as Christ followers which are required of us. Uh, God does not want us to be inactive as it relates to his service. I want to say, number one, that there is a constancy that is expected in Christian service. Now, the verbs of plowing and feeding, they're expressed here as present participles. And that carries with it the idea that the action is constant. Uh, that is to say, this is something that uh, the, the servant was to do constantly. That is, he was to plow and plow and plow. And he was to feed and feed and feed. The servant was uh, to plow and he was to feed and he was to protect pasture. He was to do this every day, day in and day out. And as it relates to our service for the Lord, beloved, one of the things that's expected of us is for us to be constant. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse number 9, it says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You see, every day ought to be the Lord's day for a born-again Christian. We are to... We are to be on Monday what we project ourselves to be on Sunday. And uh, I would also like to submit to you that it's so important that we persevere, that we move forward in the work of the Lord. Now, I'm not nearly as advanced as some of you are, and I don't claim to be. I look back at uh, some of you who are much more older in the Lord than me, and I thank God for you, but I have been trying to preach for 20 years now. And I want to tell you, I've had some high spots and I've had some low spots. I've had some encouraging times and I've had some times that just about ripped my guts out. Now, that's just the way I know to put it. I've had some times whenever it was very low and I mean uh, my heart was very discouraged. But I'm so thankful that God has kept me in the race these 20 years. I'm so glad I hadn't thrown the towel in. Whenever I'm trying to counsel some of our younger, younger people and some of our younger believers, I'll tell them, I'll say, son, just hang in there. I want you to keep uh, coming to Sunday school. I want you to stay in the Word. I want you to keep listening to preaching. I want you to keep confessing your sins. I want you to keep calling on Jesus for his grace and his strength. And I want to tell you, uh, the longer you serve him, the sweeter he will grow. What I want to submit to you this morning is that constancy is expected of a Christian servant. But not only is constancy expected, secondly, there's a coming out that is expected of a Christian servant. This word plowing, you know that word plowing, Brother Dunn, 
It, the Bible has a lot to say about the old farm activity of plowing. It has great relevance to the Christian life. God uses plowing to teach us about separation from sin. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 10, it says, Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. Now one of these is a clean animal, that being the ox, and one of them is an unclean animal, that being the ass. And to plow with them together is in type of violation of God's principle of separation. I believe Paul probably had this in mind when he wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, where the Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? To yoke is to plow. Whenever we think about what's expected of us as Christian servants, not only is constancy expected of us, but there's a coming out that is expected of us. As the old black preacher E.V. Hill would say, I want to I, I uh, drop a note right here, or, or I want to sound a word. And I want to tell you that God still expects his people to be different from the world. He still expects his people to come out from the world and to be separate to be separate in our ambitions, to be separate in our attitudes, to be separate in our actions. I'm so glad I was privileged to know some Christians who had enough grace in them that there was some difference about them. And that difference uh, penetrated my heart and my soul and it helped me to be drawn closer to the Lord. Now I'm not preaching for a legalistic attitude or anything like that but I tell you I appreciate folks who take the Christian life seriously. I believe that's the way Jesus wants us to take it. The word of God declares over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, the Bible says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So number one, there's a constancy that's expected of Christian service. Number two, there's a coming out that is expected of Christian service. And number three, there's a concentration that is expected of Christian service. You know, the Bible uses plowing to speak to us about staying focused. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, he said, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus expects his followers to stay focused on him. Uh, to stay focused on his will, as it were, to stay at the foot of the cross. Now, I didn't know anything about ADD or ADHD uh, whenever I was a kid, I, but I've come to find out I've got a touch of it, amen? <laughs> I mean, I'm just being honest with you. Somebody said, preacher, I struggle with my thought life. Uh, uh, who don't struggle with their thought life? Let me submit to you that we all have thoughts that enter our minds which are not pleasing to God. Uh, what that is is a temptation. It's not sin. Uh, beloved, if that's sin, we're all done for. Because the Bible says about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. But one of the things I've learned along the way is, is what we can do by God's grace. You know, John said in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 1, he said, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. So he's trying to give you some insight about how not to sin. And one of the things I've learned is when those thoughts come, whether they be envious thoughts or lustful thoughts or jealous thoughts, reject those thoughts and refocus your thoughts upon Calvary. 
reject those thoughts and refocus your thoughts upon the word of God and upon songs which magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. And I submit to you that that will help to strengthen our inward man and help us to be able to overcome these things that are displeasing to the Lord. And so when it comes to what is expected of us as Christian service, number one, the Lord expects constancy. Number two, the Lord expects a coming out. Number three, the Lord expects concentration. And number four, the Lord expects confidence. You know, the word plowing, Paul used that word as a symbol of hope. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse 10, he said, or saith he it all together for our sakes, for our sakes, no doubt that it is written that he that ploweth should plow in hope and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. And so the Lord expects confidence as we serve him. You see, we are to plow in light of the fact that one day we are going to reap the fruit that we have sown. We are to plow in light of the fact that we're going to reap a harvest. I mean, we are to sow confidently. I like what Adrian Rogers says. You know, I got those two books, Adrianisms. And a lot of times I put those out there on our sign, those Adrianisms. It's hard to beat him on those. Uh, he was about like Vance Habner when it comes to being able to uh, turn a phrase. But anyways, Dr. Rogers used to say, we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. And I've come this morning to affirm that. Hallelujah, I'm serving a risen, ascended Savior and he's working all things after the counsel of his own will and the Bible tells me uh, that his kingdom is going to march forward in culmination and that as we preach his word uh, that it will not return void and that our service for the Lord is not in vain. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I may, I won't ever preach to as many people as Adrian Rogers preached to. I won't ever see as many outward professions as he saw. But I'm going to tell you something. If I stay close to Calvary and if I preach the word, I'm telling you what I'm doing is not in vain. I'm telling you when all hell's coming against you and whenever your heart is discouraged and you feel like giving up, just keep on preaching the word. Keep on lifting up the name of Jesus and God is blessing you and using you in ways that you don't even imagine. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. I'm telling you, you ought to plow in confidence. And don't, hey, don't let some old backslidden Baptist, hey, just look at another one of them. That's what I've learned to do, Brother Kevin. You know, when one of them gets crossways and uh, they don't even want to look at you while you're preaching, I'll just look at another one. Amen. I'm telling you, we got to keep on going, brothers and sisters. Our labor's not in vain in the Lord. Our Savior's already won the victory. Hallelujah, we're on the winning side. We need to sow in confidence. We need to plow in confidence. You know, Jesus is the eternal optimist. Says he's sitting up in heaven expecting. 
Bible says in Hebrews 10, 12, and 13, but this man Jesus, after, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. When it comes to how we're supposed to serve the Lord, we ought to do it with confidence. That's what the Lord expects of us. But also there's the compassion he expects of us. The Bible says here, but which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle? The word feeding cattle here meant that the servant was shepherding a flock. That is to say he was a caretaker. And God expects us as Christians to be spiritual caretakers. Do you have anybody that you're spiritually caring for? Do you have some discouraged saint that you're trying to help lift up? Somebody that hadn't been saved very long that you're ministering to? Somebody maybe perhaps you're trying to lead to the Lord? The Lord expects us to be spiritual caretakers. You know, Paul longed to see people grow in the Lord. In fact, he said in Galatians 4.19, he said, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. And so here Paul is like a mother aching to see them do well spiritually. And beloved, we ought to help each, one, each other grow. We ought to love one another. We're to encourage one another. We're to admonish one another. We're to warn one another. Uh, we are to pray for each other. other. Meeting the master's expectations. We see here the activity that is expected of a Christian servant. But I want you to see something else. The appreciation that is expected of a Christian servant. The Lord Jesus here implies that, uh, that God is the master of the parable. And uh, that the servant is a picture of a sinner saved by grace. And that explains why there is no thanks from the master to the servant. Because God owes us no gratitude. Did you know it's a Bible fact that God don't thank man? If you search the whole Bible, you'll find there's 71 verses in the King James Bible. And brothers and sisters, I'm still a King James man. I like what old Dr. Ian Paisley said. He talked about my plea for the old book. And we still stand with the old book. And I want to submit to you uh, this morning that if you look into the King James Bible, the word thanks is used 71 times, and not one time does it describe God thanking man. 90% of the time, it's man thanking God. If you continue to look and you look at the word think, singular, it's used 27 times, and again, uh, not one of those is God giving gratitude to man. If you look for the word thanksgiving, it's used 27 times. And it does not speak of God thanking man either. It's just a Bible fact. God don't thank man. God don't owe us any thanks. He don't owe us any gratitude. What is he going to thank us for? Plunging the world into sin? Slaying his son? frustrating his will? No, beloved, uh, the Bible makes it clear that when it comes to things, it's always from man to God. It's always from the servant to the master. I'm preaching on what's expected of us. It's expected that we live in thankfulness. What do we have to thank him for? We can thank him for a hill outside the city of Jerusalem where the Son of God bear in his body the sin of the world. He absorbed the wrath of God in the place of his believing people. And I would remind you that that was a 
uh, that was a, a, a wrath that was filled with anger. And Jesus took all of that into himself in our place. What do we have to thank him for? We can thank him for Calvary. We can thank him for redeeming our life. I want to praise him that he redeemed my life. I want to tell you I was on my way to hell and deserved every bit of it. And I was enjoying the trip and Jesus stepped uh, into my way and he saved me and he redeemed my life. I want to submit to you, he saved my soul. But Brother Kevin, he saved my life. He's my savior. We can thank him for redeeming our lives. We can thank him for convicting and saving our souls. Jesus said in John 6, 44, he said, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. I'd have, stay, I'd have stayed dead as a man in the moon to the gospel had it not been for the Holy Ghost opening the eyes of my heart to the glory of Jesus. Oh, I'm telling you, we got so much to thank him for. We can thank him for redeeming our lives. We can thank him for saving our souls. We can thank him for answering prayers. We can thank him for the indwelling Holy Spirit. We can thank him for an eternity in heaven. You know, perhaps it's at this point that when the faithful servant goes to a knee and thanks the Lord that he becomes a profitable servant. Meeting the master's expectations. Well, number one, there's the activity that's expected of us. Amen. Number two, there's the appreciation that is expected of us. You better watch these fellas. Don't tell you. You know, we work with God in sanctification. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I agree that two-thirds of our preaching ought to be towards the majesty of God. But these fellows that place no responsibility on us as far as our cooperation with the Lord in sanctification, and they may not do it directly, they may do it indirectly, but beloved, they're unbiblical. And I want to submit to you that they didn't get to where they are at by doing nothing. As it relates to sanctification, we cooperate with the Lord. And you say, well, I don't believe that. Well, you got much right to be wrong as anybody else. I'm telling you what the Bible says. And so what we find here is the activity that's expected of a Christian servant. Number two, we see the appreciation that's expected of a Christian servant. And number three, we see the attitude that is expected of a Christian servant. You know, the servant in this parable, his attitude is, I owe everything to my master. His attitude is, I could never repay him for his goodwill to me. Uh, he has a selfless attitude. Notice what the Bible says here in verse number 7. But which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will send him by and by when he's come from the field, go and sit down to meat? And will not rather send him, make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. We see a selfless attitude from this servant. And that's the same attitude that Jesus expects of us as it relates to Christian service. Now think about this. 
This man has been plowing and he has been feeding cattle and uh, he has uh, worked all day long and he comes in from the field and his master commands him uh, to prepare the evening meal. And then to dress himself like a butler and serve him that meal that he's prepared before he eats anything. And so the ideal is, is, in other words, put everyone else before yourself, please. And I know that sounds strange in this world, but that is the Christian way of life. That's the manner that Jesus lived in. The Bible says about the Lord Jesus in Mark 10, 45, that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And dear Christian, I just want to say to you today on the authority of the promises of the Word of God, just go ahead and serve God during your time here on earth because you're going to reap the reward whenever you sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I love what Jesus does here in Luke chapter number 12, verses 35 through 37. He says, let your lights be, uh, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding that when he cometh and knocketh they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord when he cometh shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. Jesus reverses the order right there. The way the book of Revelation says it in Revelation chapter 19 verse 9, it says that he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they uh, which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. I mean, we need to lay hold on those eternal promises. Uh, we, we need to understand that uh, there's more to it than what meets the eye. So we see here that this Servant, he had a selfless attitude, but I want to say lastly, he had a satisfied attitude. Notice what the Bible says in verse 10. So likewise ye, when you have done, notice that word done, all those things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. That word done there, that's an interesting word. That's the word from which we get our word poem and poetry and poet. And you know what has to do with doing something that's beautiful? doing something that's lovely, doing something that's harmonious. And I tell you that the the Christian life, the life that is separated to the gospel, as Paul said, is a life that is beautiful in the sight of holy God. It's lovely. And he expects us to be satisfied with it. The Bible says about our Savior in Philippians chapter 2, says, uh, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant." and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I want to ask you, are you meeting expectations? Are you a profitable servant? I want to close by telling you that we can be. 
The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 about Mark, it says, Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he's profitable to me for the ministry. So John Mark's a profitable servant, according to Paul. The Bible says about Onesimus in Philemon verse 11. It says, uh, uh, it says there, uh, which in times past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. Now think about that. Paul here in Holy Scriptures speaks about two men who went from being unprofitable to profitable service. One of them is a quitter. John Mark's a former quitter. When the going got tough, he went home. You know, I think we do well to remind ourselves of that sometimes. I'll never forget, I was reading a book about some of the great heroes of the faith. And, and, uh, and it was just amazing to me how much they grew in the Lord. <laughs> you know, I always kind of had the idea that they always believed everything just right. That's unrealistic, isn't it? They fumbled. They grew in their knowledge of the Lord. That encouraged me. But Mark, he's a former quitter. And Onesimus is a fugitive. And Paul says that both of these men are profitable. And I want to submit to you that the same grace that made them profitable will make you profitable and me profitable. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you always have an all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. Meeting the master's expectations. He expects some activity. He expects some appreciation and he expects the right attitude and he works in us to do of his his will and his good pleasure. And what he does for our glory, I mean what he does for his glory is always for our joy. Amen. When Jesus said thou shalt not, when God's word says thou shalt not, God's just simply saying, I love you. May God help us to bow our knees to him today. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll walk with you. And you can trust him with all your heart. Amen. Thank you for letting me preach, Brother Kevin.